This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, Well, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of the Lord. You all know, I'm sure, at least in some way, the history of the early church, the way in which the early church began as an underground movement and only came into the open with the conversion of Constantine. What you may not know is that that was not the end of the story. It was a lot easier back then to convert an empire. All you had to do was get to the top guy, and if he converted, the whole empire converted. Except people just don't quite work that way. And when things would start to go wrong, when there would be military setbacks or social unrest, people would wonder if they'd made the right choice. Maybe this is happening because we've angered the old gods. We need to go back and pay attention to them. Whenever we are uncomfortable, we tend to run back to our safety zone, something my three cats could tell you a lot about right now. (laughs) 
And so there was this oscillation for a while between acceptance of Christianity and support for Christianity and then persecution of Christianity and an insistence on going back to the old gods. Most of the time, the Romans were fairly reasonable. They had no interest in persecuting their people. All they wanted to do was keep the peace and bring prosperity to their realm. And so even in times of persecution, oftentimes there was a hesitancy to persecute the Christians. All they wanted them to do was to include the old gods in their worship so that everyone could be happy. Now sometimes it got bad. Sometimes it was much more mean-spirited. Sometimes Christians were faced with very difficult decisions Some would heroically hold on to their faith even in the face of coercion, of imprisonment, even torture, sometimes even death. Others would reason, not unreasonably, look, all they want us to do is offer a little something to the emperor and they'll be happy. Just because I light a little bit of incense to the emperor doesn't mean I'm different than who I am. Why should I die for something as silly as this? And so one way or another, Christians dealt with the persecution. Finally, things settled down and Christianity became the accepted religion of the realm But ironically, that's when new trouble began. Because as the battered and bruised community limped back together, you can imagine the feelings when on one side you had these who had lost so much for their faith, who had given up so much in order to boldly proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ, and then you had these slackers who took the easy way out, who got to go back to their family and friends, to their jobs, to their possessions, to live in comfort while you wasted away in prison. And the question became all the more poignant when it was asked about the leaders. What about the priests and the bishops who, when push came to shove, threw Jesus over and offered sacrifice to the emperor? These leaders who now get up and want to give us the sacraments, who want to baptize our children, who want to give us communion, Is it even valid coming from such hands? And the church wrestled with this question. What sort of responsibility is there for these church leaders? What sort of example do we expect them to be? In the end, they decided to welcome back 
these who had denied their faith and these leaders who had momentarily given up their position. Because they reasoned that this communion that came from their hands is not theirs to give. And therefore, it doesn't matter how unworthy those hands might be, this is a gift from God, not from them. This act of baptism is a gift from God, not from the pastor. This gift of community is something that is given by God. It is not something that we make ourselves. In short, as we heard in the introduction to the choral anthem, this is my Father's world, not our world. But this question of worthiness is one that has dogged the Christian church through the centuries down to this very day. The problem being that when Jesus came on the scene, when he began his ministry, when he began his proclamation, he began by saying the kingdom of God is coming. And then in his words and his actions, he lived that kingdom. He spoke that kingdom. And the kingdom of God came into being wherever he was, such that we could see it and hear it and feel it and be part of it. And we today lift up that same message. The kingdom of God is coming near. The only problem is that now there is this dissonance between the message we proclaim and the messenger who proclaims it. Because while we lift up God's kingdom vision of peace on earth, we continue to wage military and social war against those who speak or act or believe differently than we do. While we continue to lift up that kingdom vision of justice, we continue to condone injustice towards those who are weaker than we are. While we continue to lift up the kingdom vision of inclusion, we continue to stiff arm those who may not act in quite the right way, who may not uphold whatever moral standard or shouldness we think they should, regardless of our own ability or inability. In short, we often fail to look like that vision that we proclaim. Believe me, this is not the gospel I wanted to preach on my first time preaching as your pastor. It's a no-win situation because I can get up here and I can twist and dance and try to convince you that Jesus meant something other than what he says here, and believe me, I am not above a little twisting and dancing. But then again, Jesus was not above a little twisting and dancing and sometimes did say things that on second examination, perhaps there is a deeper meaning to. 
Or I could try to convince you that Jesus meant exactly what he said. And that if you have gotten divorced, and if you are with someone else, you are committing adultery. In which case, probably half the people in this room are going to feel uncomfortable and judged. And I'm not sure that's hearing the gospel. In order to support what he says, Jesus cites the story of Adam and Eve. The story of how Eve is formed out of a rib taken from the man and as such is flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. And uses that as a means of underscoring the sanctity of this union between the two. But the story itself of Adam, of the creation of the woman from the rib of man, was told as a way to explain why it is that men and women yearn for each other. Why it is that they want to pair off. And in citing that story, there was lifted up this primordial vision of rightness and settledness and perfection that unfortunately looks strange to us now because it seems so at odds with the world in which we find ourselves. A world filled with challenges that Adam and Eve could hardly have imagined, let alone dealt with. We continue to lift up love and to bless it and to celebrate it. And we cheer as those who have found it go on their way, but we know full well that the world is often not a kind place to lovers. And that almost 50% of the time, that love will end up going wrong. Paths will diverge. Marriages go on the rocks. And when that happens, we acknowledge that sometimes the best thing we can do, the most loving thing we can do, is to dissolve that marriage and allow these two to move on from this toxic situation to try to find love again, to try to move on with their lives. We understand that this vision of love is being lifted up in the midst of a broken world just as our gospel is being lifted up in the midst of a broken world. We understand that the love that Jesus underscores today is a love that is found now oftentimes in unexpected places, with unexpected people, in unexpected forms. We understand that the rib taken from the man now is not always named woman. 
because we continue to have the gift from God to name things around us. And in doing so, we take on a bit of that holy power of God. When divorce happens, we can name it tragedy. We can name those who go through it victim. Or we can name it opportunity. We can name it second chance. We can look at those in love and we can try to give them all sorts of different names or we can simply call them lovers and lift up in so doing not who they are but what this precious gift is that they have found. Because love is the foundation. Love is the bedrock. Love is the cornerstone of this undertaking of which we are a part. We who sometimes seem all so unworthy to undertake it. We who speak with hesitant voices and uncertain hands but this is not our undertaking. These are not our gifts. We are washed in water, a gift from God. We receive bread and wine, a gift from God. And in so doing, we become the body of Christ, a gift of God. And suddenly we look a little bit more like that kingdom. We look a little bit more like that vision of settledness and shalom that God yearns to give all of creation. Each of us, each of these creatures, great and small, this air, this earth, this water, all of it brought to a sense of completeness that is defined as love. And so we, who are incomplete but empowered by God, continue still to lift up that vision and to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near in this place the kingdom of God is coming near to all people. Amen.